Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, it's Michael Waits from ATP Stories. I am talking to Jérôme Lelouet, the founder and CEO of Wishbeer, among other things. How are you doing, Jérôme? Hi, Michael. How are you? I am super. Um, I'd like to say it's been a while since we last talked or saw each other, but we both know that's not true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. I'm not. I'm not sure if I run into anybody as often as I run into you, and that's not because I'm drinking pro- prolifically at Wish Beer. No, unfortunately not. Uh, <laughs> as you <laughs> know, <laughs> I am there, but I'm probably your least drinking customer. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. In a way, I guess. Anyway, wanted to um, tell us how long have you been in Thailand? You're, you're originally from France, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm from France. I've been in Thailand for yeah, now, like, yeah, 14 years. Oh, wow. It's longer than I thought or longer than I remembered, actually. It's actually longer than I thought as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that, well, you know me, right? So I left the United States in 1990. I never yeah. expected to not go back, and I'm never going back now. So it's been almost 30 years for me, 27 outside the country. So I know how it feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every year is... Um, every year is... Um, Another part of the story that's going on, so you know, no plan to go bad either. So, so tell me the beginning, if you don't mind. Like, what brings somebody? And there seems to be a really large population, you know, not just in Thailand, but I think there's a decent sized population, particularly in your generation, of you know, just entrepreneurs and business people and travelers from France that just stay outside the country and never go home. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, me, uh, it started when I was like seventeen. And uh, at that time, I was uh, I was a scout, boy scout, you know. And um, you know, I've been doing scoutism for like ten years. And uh, yeah, the the last year, like when you're actually like seventeen, you you do like a, kind of a humanitarian project, so something that you do abroad. Um, so we had like, you know, we had to choose between two countries. There was one was Sri Lanka, and was and the other the other project was in Vietnam. Uh, like for five weeks or so, and the team chose Vietnam. I was like, oh shit, I, you know, I don't want to go to Vietnam. I wanted to go to Sri Lanka. And then, uh, and then I went to Vietnam and then it was kind of a eye opener for me, you know, like first time I was outside Europe and I was like, wow, what's happening here is like fantastic. It's, you know, it's, it was about like, you know, every, every day you, you're being surprised by something. What, and what, what year was that? Uh, 1999, when you could smoke on the planes. <laughs> or smoke on the plane too. too you could, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could. You had the, the curtain at the back of the plane. Anyways. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that, that, that was the time. And then, and then since then, it was like, I had, you know, I, I, can't, I stayed like five weeks, went back to France, and I, afterwards I was like, oh, I have to go back to Vietnam. You know, it's it's you know it's new, and I'm learning things, and you know I love it. So, so then I, I went to business school, and my first uh, two years, uh, three years later, my first uh, internship. So you know, in France, you can do a lot of uh, you you have to do a lot of internships when you're at business school. And, um, yeah, my first internship was actually, I managed to, to get something in Vietnam. So I went back to Vietnam for two months and then I went back to France, keep studying and then another internship for one year. 
And then I was looking at something in Vietnam again. And then they told me Thailand. I was like, oh, close enough. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Same thing, right? Or as we say now, same, same. Yeah. Even though it's not, but that's kind of the feeling, right? It's like, okay, it's, yeah, it's still Asia and I couldn't find anything in Vietnam. So I went to, when I came to Thailand one year and then again started to learn Thai language. Uh, went back to France again, came back, you know, like on and off. Had a girlfriend at the time as well. And, um, yeah, and, and then found found my uh, my first job in Thailand. What was that? So I was a business controller for Carrefour. Oh wow, okay. And you've always been like you're an accountant by training. Is that fair? Uh, not fair. No. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Tell me. It's okay. It's, it's like uh, it's, it, like business, um, you know, business school. So it's mostly like quite general, but specialized in uh, in finance. Got it. Uh, so not not. Not specifically an accountant, but, you know, being able to understand accounting. Yeah. So what was, so exactly what were you doing at Carrefour? Sorry, I interrupted you. For, for Carrefour? Carrefour? Yeah. Yeah. So I was business controller for two years, uh, for the, the non-food, uh, business, uh, side of the business. So mostly like, you know, creating dashboards and, you know, looking at KPIs, uh, key performance indicators for, for those who don't know what it is. Right. Like basically, like what's the revenue? What are the costs? And you know, how is the business going? So I've, I've been doing that for two years at, at Carrefour. But that's a great way to learn about business in general, right? I mean, I kind of did the same thing when I started at Morgan Stanley. I started in the controllers department. It was a super way to figure out just like all of the flows of the whole business. And then it was easy then to go into the front part of the business where the actual revenue was being generated because I knew what happened to it afterwards as well. Right. Right. I mean, I really, I really love that because, yeah, as you said, like you, you actually have access to everything, everything. Yeah. You have to understand every department. You have to talk to every department, and you know, you you have like a, in some ways a very like central role, uh, not actually generating business, but at least like monitoring it uh, in, in some ways. So, yeah, that, that was super interesting, especially like you know, Carrefour is like a, a retailer and. Yep. I think retail is like one of the most complex um, business you can you can have. Like you know, they have stores and they have like systems and they have um, you know head office and you know they're fighting with each other with the stores and don't have the same. So it's 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 um, it's uh, yeah, retail is a very very difficult and, and challenging business. So yeah. so being a controller was super super interesting. Yeah, I mean, retail does end up being really complex, and it's probably a driver of a very large percentage of, you know, just commerce that takes place globally. And then if you look at online retail, it's just another, it's a new animal, right? It's still not, I mean, in Southeast Asia and Thailand, it's still probably less than 2% of all retail is online, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah, very low, still low, but growing, growing and great potential. So how do you get to how do you get to wish beer from Carrefour? Like what did you what did you learn there that sort of prepared you for your life as an entrepreneur? I presume you've been an entrepreneur now for a while, right? Uh, actually, I was not really an entrepreneur for a while. I mean, just started wish beer as a as a kind of a side project. It was not meant to be what it is now. Somehow, um. Before that, I had like, you know, during 10 years, I was like CFO for different companies uh, regionally. So I had to travel like in Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, uh, had different roles. 
But the main, you know, I, I worked in different like, segments. Like I, I worked in retail, I worked in manufacturing, I worked in freight forwarding, I worked in uh, web web companies. My last assignment was in a web company. But the the, the common thing about all this experience is like after a while I get bored. <laughs> so so my you know my kind of record like. Um, after all these experiences were like staying over nine months and I would kind of resign most of the time. Wow. Uh, nine months, one year, which kind of change jobs or I got fired also a few, a few times. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. 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 yeah for, for different reasons. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. So, so the thing is that was kind of my entrepreneurial, uh, journey somehow like to, you know, when you get when you get to um to a paid job as a, as an employee, uh, all my jobs was about setting up finance. So I come to a company, I set up the finance department, I make it run properly, and then after a while, I get bored. Once it's running, it's it's not fun anymore. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I also had you know ambition. I wanted to to get higher salaries and, and, and the good thing about Asia is there's a lot of opportunity for people who wants to work in finance because there's a lot of international companies, lack of, uh, talents, uh, locally. So a lot of them have to, uh, hire some, you know, expats or, uh, especially people who can understand the country. So, you know, I was, uh, I could speak Thai fluently. So that also helped me a lot, like finding jobs. Uh, so I can create the link between between let's say the the Thai accounting team and and the foreign management. Yeah, it's a really powerful tool. I mean, I always used to say that language is power, right? I lived in Japan for 22 years, as you know, and speaking Japanese when you're there just gave me an edge that was really hard to compete with. Yeah. I mean, it was one of the reasons why I was allowed to stay there for so long. And just like you said, like if you can create that bridge between you know, a French company, European company, an American company, and the local staff. It's just really powerful. And, and language is really yes. the best, if not the only way, to be able to do that. Because if you don't understand the language, you can't understand the culture, right? Definitely. Definitely. And uh, yeah, that, that's also one one thing that, you know, I, I couldn't have done Wishbeer without the language. Uh, because ultimately, Wishbeer is a, you know, it's a marketing company. It's, it's I mean, it's uh, you have to understand the markets. You can't, like, you know, uh, try to sell something. In general, in Thailand, you cannot, if you're B2C, you need to understand, like, the market. So, without the language, without being able to read what's going on on Facebook, on different pages, and, you know, um, I, I couldn't get my, really, my head around this otherwise. So, can you walk me through just sort of the found? You said uh, Wish Beer was kind of a side gig at the beginning, but. Yeah. I don't think it's so much of a side business anymore. Just from my perspective, I've, I've no, been, no, I've been wrong before, right? It's it's, def it's definitely not uh, not a side business anymore. It used to be um, because I, so I, w I was working with this um, web web company called Pronto Marketing, um, and I was uh, I was CFO with them for for almost four years. And uh, yeah, the, the job was fun, and you know, I I, uh, I had good conditions and everything, and the, the company was growing. I mean, we grew from like 
15, 15 employee when I started to 80 when I left. Wow, that's real growth. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, super fast growth and the, the company is selling, um, websites on a recurring revenue model. So you pay like a monthly fee and you get like, you know, unlimited pages on your website, changes and stuff. So, um, so it was good for SMEs like who want, to, you know, you want to have a website, but you want to spend like two to five thousand dollars to, you know, build it and then, and then you build it, you buy it and then the company tells you like, you know, goodbye and <laughs> take care. So in the end, uh, your, your, your website become obsolete. So, so that, that was a really powerful business model is to say like, okay, we cut the, st- the setup cost and we do an ongoing thing instead. Uh, so, so the company has now like over, I think a thousand five hundred customers or two thousand customers. Um, that's a great outside business. Yeah. Based in Thailand, but outside Thailand. So I was CFO for that company for a while and it was really fun and the, the, the team was nice and everything, but I always wanted to do more. And, you know, in, in some ways I, I had set up my, my things again, the, the finance department was set up, everything was running properly and, um, I needed to, to do something, you know, to do something else. So, so that's why in the end I start, I started, uh, wish beer, uh, because we, with friends, we were ordering beer to importers. There was actually no retail channel to, for the beers that we wanted. Uh, we could find the beers in the bars in Thailand, but no way to buy them, uh, you know, in supermarkets. So I thought, okay, let's do, um, let's do a quick, you know, e-commerce project and, <laughs> I had the resource around me. I had like copywriters, designers who can eventually help me on, on a few things. Um, because I was, I was working at Pronto, right? Oh, right. Yeah. So, so that was kind of, uh, easy to do it. And it's funny because it's after that I realized that actually beer was a big thing, was a big thing in the world. And you know, there was a friend. <laughs> it's like two years later, I was like, well, actually I was, I was right, you know, <laughs> at the right time on the right market. Um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting, isn't it? When you hit a wave, I mean, you did hit it just at the right time and there was a craft beer craze going on. It's still a beer craze going on. You know, beer is becoming in a way, yeah. it's almost returning in a way to like what wine was like 10 years ago, right? Where it's, there are different kinds of beer, exactly. there are different kinds of breweries. It's very specific and very brand specific. It's kind of interesting. You know more about that than I do though. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Maybe you're, you're, you're a good beer drinker, so I assume you, you might know a little bit as well. No, I'm not actually. <laughs> My, it's really interesting for me because I kind of want you to start Wish Wine, to be fair. But, but Wish Beer yeah. itself has become quite successful. You now have how many locations? Um, so we have, uh, now three, three locations. And you've also done something really interesting and a little bit innovative in this space as well. I mean, frankly, I think the whole thing that you've done from, you know, creating a, a B2B, so, and a B2C mechanism and retail mechanism where people can actually buy beer as opposed to just buying it in a bar. Like you said, it was really hard to do before. Now it's not so hard. Um, but the other thing you've done or one of the other things you've done that's quite innovative is the way you funded the growth. Right. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that whole process of funding and why you chose that methodology and kind of how it went, how long it took and just what that was like? Cause I think that's really interesting to, for, to be able from a business perspective. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, so so when I obviously when I started and I, I funded the business with uh, you know our, my monthly income, and so it was that was like more like a kind of a side project, and I, I didn't really know if it would work. I didn't have a you know it's, I want I just wanted to do something new. So 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 that's what happened, and then. So I, I was funding my the, the the business with my monthly income, and then there was all this uh, good timing as well in terms of ecosystem, you know, all the uh, co-working spaces opening up, new investors coming into Thailand, all the startup thing, you know, going right. kind of crazy with like stages and events and pitching things, and. You know, it was funny. I remember the the the, the first time that I pitched Wish Beer. It was the the day before uh, one of the biggest events in Asia called uh, Echelon. Yeah, right? I remember. I think I was there. Actually, you won that contest. Hey, didn't hey, you? So, so so they had these uh, these uh, qualification satellites in um, hmm. uh, in in Chiang Mai, Phuket, and uh, sorry, there's a bit of sound. It's okay. Um, I cut that. Facebook is. Uh, <laughs> it just is what it is, right? It, <laughs> it intrudes into everything. Yeah. So, 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 so yes, yeah, so the light, and and they had like one in um, uh, Chiang Mai, Phuket, and whatever city, and then and I kind of woke up and I was like, oh, I have to pitch Wishbeer. You know, nobody like kind of know me really, and I've never pitched before, and. But I want to try this pitching thing. So, so I called the guy and he tells me like, oh, but tomorrow is the last day and the the, the, the event is in Konken. The, the the last satellite <laughs> is in Konken. So I went to yeah, in Konken, completely like. Uh, yeah. You should explain to people how far away Konken is, right? I presume you drove there, or did you fly? Sorry? How did you get to Konken? Because it's oh, yes. around the corner. So, so the guy tells me like, yeah, please come. We have only four startups. You will be the fifth. I say, okay, no problem. I, so I booked a flight. It's like one hour flight. It's northeast of Thailand, right? Yep. And, um, I arrived there. I pitch and I win. Like, I remember. Unexpe- completely unexpected. <laughs> so there were some big guys, you know, from uh, Kaidi and, you know, the CEO of Kaidi, um, and uh, other people that were judging the event. And, you know, it was like my first pitch. I was happy. It was, you know, unexpected, but okay. And then there was this final in Bangkok. So I did the final and I won the event again. That's the one I was at because I remember you winning and I remember thinking a beer company wins the Echelon Tech Pitching Contest. It was really amazing actually at the time. Yeah. So it was the first uh, big event in Thailand also for startups. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely, you know, I, I think I know why I won, but you know, a lot of the other company was uh, had a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of traction as well. But you know, for some reason, uh, maybe because my business was running already for two years, there was some revenue. I was generating revenue. I was uh, I was showing numbers also. A lot of startups that pitch actually didn't show any number, any projection, any anything. Um, so, so I won, and then then I got like some interest from um, from uh, VC from Favana Startup. Wow! Just just from that event, right? Yeah, yeah from Kunmu and Krating. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, they, they 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 came to see me. We had a chat, and like, okay, we kind of shake hands, and they say, oh, well, we're interesting in in uh, investing in Wishbia. So. 
that's um, that's kind of how it started, and, and that's how I got the first uh, investment in Rich Beer. So then I needed to be like more focused and spend really, you know, be a hundred percent, two hundred percent the business. Um, so. But that, that's that, that's interesting though for me if you don't mind me interrupting right because it yeah. was kind of a side thing and then it wasn't and then you pitched without really you know I don't think you expected to win right and then you win no, I, and then but, you and then you get an investment as well sorry I interrupted you again go ahead no 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 I, I interrupted you but uh, no what I wanted to say is like even though I, I didn't expect to win I, I obviously wanted to win. absolutely yeah I didn't <laughs> I didn't mean you went up there cavalierly like never mind I'm not even gonna try but it's more just like. There, you know, you were in a perfect spot again. Your timing was great, right? Because the company had been around yeah. for a bit. You already were selling products. So it fit into what people wanted to see in a business, right? It was a startup, but it wasn't just an idea. It was a going concern that right. needed funding to grow. And that's perfect for winning a company. Just perfect, right? And the, the other thing was that was kind of unexpected was like, as a foreigner in Thailand, you win like a, the first event, like, that is about startups. Yeah, well played. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun, but, um, uh, I don't know what I was saying before, but, uh, wait, sorry. So you won, right? You took your investment and that was right. when you had to get serious now, right? And not that you weren't serious before, but now you've actually taken an investment money. It changes the whole perception for you of the business, I presume. And, and also externally. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we had like, um, we had, um, I mean, the first year was was interesting. I mean, interesting. Yeah, it was a, it was quite of a challenge because we, although we 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 they were committed to invest, we didn't get the investment. You know, uh, when when you know when when we shake hands, it, it took like almost one year to, to get to get the cash. Why was that? Uh, because mostly I think because, uh, family startup didn't have set up the fund. They didn't set up the fund yet in Thailand. So they were all in the process of raising money and everything. Um, and you know, I, I made my, I think I made my first mistake there is like started, I started to hire people, right. <laughs> investing in the team. And I was like, okay, when is the money coming? When is the money coming? So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit challenging, but one of the, there was another angel investor that, that came along. He saw that Family Startup was uh, interested in investing, so invested first, actually. He actually put the money first before before um, Family Tuk-Tuk and Family Startup did. And so that's how we launched our first uh, bar. Can you say who that is or you don't offline. want to say? Who? The, who the angel investor? You don't have to say. I'm just curious. Oh, it's a um, it's a uh, it's a French investor. Um, I mean, mostly based in France, but he has some uh, some businesses in Thailand, and he want at the time he wanted to spend more time in Thailand, so he was looking for for something to you know invest and you know take care okay. somehow. And he's been in the FNB in France for 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 a while, and then. Yeah, that he was, you know, someone from the north of France, very passionate about beer and and about new businesses. So, so this guy came along, and his name is Thierry. And uh, Can you say, I'm yeah, sorry, I missed that. Can you say his name again? I just missed it. Uh, Thierry, Thierry Landon. Got it. So Thierry was, uh, you know, um, 
he, he was the first actually uh, putting money uh, in Wishpe, and that's how we started our first uh, offline store. Because be, you know, before that, for the first two years, we were only purely online e-commerce retailers, so delivering right. beers anywhere in Thailand. And I thought, like, okay, e-commerce is going to grow, but it's not going to be as fast as I want because, you know, of the e-commerce penetrations and the, 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 the country being mostly offline at that time. Uh, I thought, okay, let, let's do a bar. It's going to be good for visibility. You can be uh, – you're going to – you know, I thought, like, I'm going to appear on TripAdvisor and, you know, it's going to create the, the brand. Right. Uh, and it, eventually it's going to help with, uh, with the e-commerce. And also it would be a place that I, where I could meet my online customers. So that was also like, it, it would work both ways. That was the goal. Yeah. I mean, it's classic, so, it's classic online, offline, you know, marketing distribution. Yeah. It works really well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and, uh, yeah. And I mean, final startup was not, you know, close to this idea and because I mean, most VCs would don't really like the, the offline side of, of businesses. Um, so, but that, that, that's why afterwards it, it was a bit difficult to, to pitch to actually raise a different additional funding. Um, because when you start to have a bar, then all the, all the VCs are like, oh, but he owns a retail store, and we are more more interested in your online business and things like that. So, but I, I really believe that uh, we are now in a, in terms of timing again. You know, I think it's a good timing to have a business. I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that because I'm doing it, but I, I really think if you if you see the trend, a lot of pure online now going offline. Amazon is building stores. Yeah, you've done the right thing. You've completely so we, done the right we, thing. We are we are back to actually uh, brick and mortar businesses <laughs> somehow. Well, let's talk about uh, this. I mean, even that, even that, in the United States, like around ten to eleven percent of retail is online. That's it. That means eighty. That means over eighty-five or ninety percent of retail is still offline. That means people right. go to stores and buy things. So we can talk about how online is going to take over the whole world, but particularly for a bar. People go and drink. And look, I've been in Wish Beer. You know that. I'm slightly biased. But, you know, I've been in there on a Tuesday night and it's packed. People want to go sit in a place and be social. And I think that's true for all retail. Yeah. Right? People don't want to sit in their living rooms and buy everything. They just don't want to do it. Humans are naturally social beings and they want to exist offline as well. I don't think it's going away. I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. And that's... uh, uh... That's yeah. We wanted to catch as well this part of uh, you know people spending uh, on on the offline as well. Eventually, they can buy online and also come to the bar. That you know you are uh, you cannot do much more than that. So um, so that that's why we we built our first location and then so it was like a it was a pop up. It was not like a fixed location. So we we had a deal with uh, Ramonland. The condominium developer in Thailand. I remember you were in the front of that sort of what was it? Uh, the the loft. Yeah, the, the loft. loft. Right. So they had the the sales office there where they were selling condos, and uh, you were selling beer. They, but they were already like kind of sold out with the condominium, so the you know the salespeople had not much to do there, and the, the place was kind of uh, not dead, but you know there was not a lot of uh, foot foot traffic there. So they thought, okay, let's put a bar there, make it like kind of a trendy and 
we have uh, also like kind of a premium image. So it was it was a good fit actually to um, to work with Remolin. And we took over their sales office for nine months, and uh, we built like a, a pop-up store there. And after nine months, we had to move out, and we took a, a fixed location, which is actually 200 meters from the, the previous one. So how did you get the deal with Ryman Land? Um, mostly because I, I, I know someone. I mean, a good friend of mine is working at Ryman Land. Perfect. And... Uh, yeah, they, I think they, are, they were also willing to um, to kind of innovate in in you know how they do things. So bringing a bar was not something that has been done, I think, in Thailand. Or, uh, I can't remember having seen any. Um, so that that was a, that was a first for them, a first for us as well. And uh, that's you know that's how it started. Then how did you move from, because you said there was a problem, not a problem, but there was some misunderstanding, I think, from the venture capital world about how to grow this business, both offline and offline. So you went to a kind of novel funding methodology for your expansion. And that expansion was basically offline, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, then we moved to a more like a permanent location. I got um, additional funding from my previous investors, from a startup, from a tuk-tuk. Uh, they invested again, so I moved to the, this permanent location, moved my e-commerce warehouse together, so we have like the bar, the e-commerce, and our offices like all in the same place. So it was it was perf- perfect setup, especially that it's um, 500, uh, 500 meters from where I live. So it was another you know, additional benefit that uh, make it perfect. And the thing is. Um, I, you know, I've been wanted to expand for a while, and I've been uh, raising money for a while. But it's if you meet with like venture capital, they are mostly interested in pure online, right? As mentioned, so um, so it was difficult to sell the bar, the bar side of the business. And then you meet with like traditional investors; they invest in property, they buy condos or whatever. And then they're like, "Oh, but your e-commerce." Right. Why is so, it so expensive? Right. You know? So both sides don't understand. Yeah. They, they, you know, <laughs> they're like, oh, but, oh, your e-commerce business, show me your balance sheet. And you're like, yeah, but there's nothing in the balance sheet where, you know, we are losing money. I mean, it's e-commerce. You have to invest a lot and it takes time and blah, blah, blah. You have to build a, a team. You have like, um, you know, developers and they're not generating, you know, revenue uh, right away. Right. Right. So, so it was difficult to sell. So that's why I thought, okay, then the only way to grow for us, because e-commerce is going to be, uh, it's going to be growing. I mean, we're growing like 50% uh, year on year, right? In terms of uh, online growth. But I don't think it, for us, it can go much faster, uh, without funds. I mean, so the easiest way to grow for us is to go offline. And offline is, uh, it's easy to sell. Because, you know, a bar is making money. Any bar, most of the bars that, you know, you can find in Thailand, they make money. Yeah. And, and our bar has been financing the, the e-commerce for a while. So, you know, the logical step would be, okay, let's do more bars. Then, you know, it's, it's bringing more money. So, so I thought, okay, if traditional investors cannot, uh, don't understand the e-commerce, then let's split 
on one side you have the e-commerce company and on the other on the other side you have the the bar company and let's investors invest in the bar company only so you can sell uh, the bar numbers right and so I had booked like some locations already since uh, April without the money, huh? but I, I already I already knew that I had to expand and I already knew that I had to to build these two additional bars, right? So I booked these two locations, one in uh, Rachada, uh, the street Rachada. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's uh, in a shopping mall, and the other location is in uh, Tonglo. So I booked these two locations. And at that time, I had a few investors, you know, that I was about to close, and obviously it didn't happen. So I ended up in June. I was like, I really have to open these bars, otherwise, you know, it's going to be difficult for us to, you know, even survive uh, over the, you know, over the year or six months. Right? So I, I was thinking, like, okay, what, what do I do now? And then, and then I thought, like, about Brewdog, uh, which is a, a Scottish craft beer. Uh, a brewery, and they, they, they've been very innovative by raising money with their fans, right? So beer is is, is easy to sell beers to or to have people invest in beer, right? Somehow, it's easier than if, if you sell a screws or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so I thought, okay, we we have a fairly good brand image. People know us. Um, we have a lot of customers, both online and offline. So let's try to sell Wishfield to to these people. So we did like kind of a crowdfunding thing, although it's not really crowdfunding because we didn't use any crowdfunding platform. Right. Uh, and I started to actually, uh, yeah, do some Facebook advertising and saying like invest with us, trying to find some partners. And, you know, through advertising, I got the hundreds of answers uh, over over three, four months. And I had to, you know, email these people, talk to these, all these people and meet them. And, and we closed a few of them. So now we have like uh, more than 20 people who invested a total of uh, 8 million baht. That's amazing. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I'm, I'm super happy that it kind of worked. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it's a fantastic experience in, in, in many ways in terms of like, obviously in terms of cash, uh, you know, that I got like for actually opening new projects. So the street has been open. Tonglo is in construction. I found another, another location. Now we have, we have opened a, a beer garden in, uh, the other side of the river, at the river, actually. That's a great. Is, that's a great idea. That's Ryman Land as well, right? So land project, yeah. So yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm very um, aggressive with growth, and it's been frustrating me, like you know, for a year, year and a half, not being able to grow as fast as I want as I wanted because of the the la- lack of uh, capital, basically. So now it's uh, it's back again. We have a bit of cash. We can invest in um, in these new locations and building the brand. And uh, also, it's been a, a bit of a kind of a difficult year in terms of you know the economy has not been that great. Uh, hopefully now it's going to get better. But so so yeah. So 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 that that was my way to actually um, uh, finance our growth. 
so we, we were offering 30% of our company for 20 million baht. That was the, the pitch. And then I sent some numbers, uh, some projections, uh, low expectations, uh, like, you know, no dividend for two years, you know, easy things. Like, I don't want people to, to expect too much. So I, I tend to... Underpromise and overdeliver. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, people, I meet them, I tell them, you know, your money, you're, you're not going to see it again. You know, you're, you're, it has to be clear. I'm managing the business. You're just a financial investor. Right. I hope it's not money that you need. <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. So, I mean, you know, we have to be, to be fair with, with them as well. Right. So, but eventually it's also to, uh, they, they believe that our business, you know, worth it and it's going to grow and it's going to, you know, we're going to kick ass and whatever. So, um, so, so it works. So, so now, I mean, we still have 12 million to go if we want to reach our 20 million, you know, uh, round, but, uh, I'm sitting in discussion, people, more people are coming, they're bringing their friends. Uh, I have discussions with more strategy investors. So we, we also get the name out there that we are very, very aggressive on, on growing our business in Thailand and, and, in, in Southeast Asia. So it's been also good in terms of marketing and, you know, people knowing better which beer, you know, so. So how do the regulations sit in, not just in Thailand, but in the rest of the region for you to be able to use Thailand as a base to then sell beer online in the rest of Southeast Asia? I mean, opening a bar in Ho Chi Minh is definitely doable, I think. The same thing in Jakarta and Manila and... yeah. Other places, physical bars probably not. I mean, it's difficult for sure. But I wonder what the regulations are for the online stuff. I'd love to understand that in Thailand as well, too. I, th- I think the, the in terms of so regulation is is still uh, not well, let's say, regulated. Uh, there's no law about you know selling alcohol online or selling beverages online. So that's you know it's it's kind of a still of a gray area. We, we have like everything, all the, we actually have all the licenses. We have e-commerce license that says we're selling beer. Uh, we have the, we have the alcohol license. We have, I mean, we have all the licenses that, that are needed to operate, but it's not, uh, clear yet in Thailand that what's, what's the, what's the position of the government on this. So you have a lot of website actually who sell the, who sell alcohol online, you know, all the wines uh, can be can be found online. Uh, even, you know, the big retailers actually uh, sell also online. So everybody's selling online, so it's, so it's allowed. But it's still not 100% clear what, what can be done and what cannot be done. And, and also, I mean, that's when we started the business, that was also something that, you know, everybody like, told me, oh, you can do it. How can you do it? It's not allowed or whatever. I'm like, no, I, it, right. you, you can definitely do it. And, uh, oh, I had this idea. I wanted to do it as well. <laughs> you know? Sure. I, lo- I love, uh, I love to hear that. But, yeah, so uh, do I. That was my idea first. Sure. <laughs> but just go do something. Stop complaining. Go do something. <laughs> Everybody has ideas, particularly if they're your ideas and they're good ideas. <laughs> but well, how about the, um, tell me you don't feel like that. Um, how about the taxes? I always, you know, I think about taxes across the region and how that impacts stuff. And I read about it sometimes. Does that have a big impact on your ability to sell or people just don't care? So 
Not really, because the taxes are usually those who are responsible to pay for the taxes are the importers, the distributors. We are not we are not an importer. We don't import anything. Everything is already in Thailand. So the beer that we're selling, we buy it from a local supplier and we resell it online. So that's that's uh, makes it makes it easy, easier for us. I mean, when the price increase, let's say the tax increase, and the, the our, my supplier will increase prices and eventually I will increase also prices. Right. So uh, it's, it, it doesn't have like a big uh, operational impact or even financial impact because I keep my margins. I just increase, the, let's say I increase the price or decrease the price uh, based on what my supplier is giving me. So the the operation is, is quite localized and that's why in some ways it's, if you want to, let's say, um, go to Jakarta or Vietnam, wherever, you need to build another local operation. You can't move beers from Thailand to Vietnam, let's say. You have to rely on importers that are already in uh, in Vietnam. Got it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, but what we but but what we can bring though is like all the technology, uh, the e-commerce, the user experience, and everything. So that's that's what is easily scalable. Yeah, and I mean, I guess having a physical bar with a brand name doesn't hurt, right? I mean, you could open yeah. a wish, you could open a wish beer bar in Vietnam, and people would know what it meant, right? And I, I also like the fact that the bar itself, to me, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but the bar itself has also become kind of a hangout for startup people. When I go there, I see people from Octotrip and from other startup companies just hanging out there. People that have come a distance actually to get there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, that, that's. Um... Uh, that's also for us. I mean, it's yeah. We, we we can see. I mean, we're happy we to see like the startup community and everything. But but eventually for us, it's more. It's actually more than that. It's not for me. It's not a bar. I mean, it's not just a bar. I'm, I'm, uh, for, for me, it's more like a sandbox to try things uh, in terms of uh, customer experience, all the offline side of things, right? So, because eventually what we're building is not, not just e-commerce. What we're building is a system that integrates with our offline uh, operations. So with our bar. Uh, so, so tomorrow you come with our beer app, wish beer app, right? And then you come to the bar, you can, you can sit at the table, you can look at the menu from your app. Uh, you can potentially order from your app. Uh, then you can pay with your app, like you know, kind of a Starbucks thing. It, yep. you, you can scan it and everything. So, so that's that's where we we're going, and we've built the, the foundations of this over the past two three years, and that's where we invested a lot. And you know, going forward, we want to invest more on the customer experience. You come to the bar, oh, hello, Michael. We know that you love this beer or this wine, and I can recommend this one. That is, you know, we know you already. You you enter the bar, we know you who you are, what you drink, what you order. If you order online, not online. So that's that's what we're building. So we're not we're not like only e-commerce. We 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 are building the the whole retail experience. Yeah, I mean, and essentially what you're building is a platform, and that platform actually has quite a bit of power and leverage built into it. Right, exactly. Mm, I like it a lot. I like it more now than I did an hour ago, actually. <laughs> That's good. So I was able to sell it the idea. <laughs> no, but, but you have sold it really well, and and I think part of the issue, particularly on the fundraising side, and again, you know this better than I do, but it's that 
people don't understand the story. So when you tell it to them, all they hear. So like you said, a traditional investor listens to land prices per square, you know, meter prices, how many people are coming in, what the revenue per square. They, they don't listen to this sort of integrated story. And in reverse, your digital potential investors and, you know, any venture capitalist, I mean, venture capitalists per se are very short-sighted and really siloed anyway. We could talk, that's a different conversation. Right. But they don't get the offline thing and why you're building an experience either, right? They'd much rather invest in a pure online experience and they don't realize that that offline experience is what turbocharges the online experience. And that's what you're building. That whole combination, like you said, that integrated business and platform is really powerful because just think about somebody sitting at, and I know you know this, but just to say it explicitly, think about somebody sitting in the bar, having a great time with their friends, drinking a new beer that they haven't tasted before that they didn't even know was in Thailand. Like, this is awesome. And as they're paying their bill, you can say, order a case of this. You'll have it delivered to your house tomorrow. Boom. They just press a button, add it to their bill. They're done. And then tomorrow the beer shows up at their house. Like yep. there's so much leverage built into that kind of platform. And that's actually fascinating to me from a pure business perspective. I don't drink beer at all, frankly, but that doesn't matter. The business right. makes sense. A lot of sense, actually. And you also have a restaurant in there too. So you're testing food experiences, probably testing food delivery. Like there's a lot going on. I think that most yep. people don't understand. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 food side of our business is still um, it's not us. I know, I know, but it's still in there. You still can learn from it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the Kinkow thing is actually really interesting as well, right? It's again a different conversation, but there's still a lot to learn there. No, definitely, definitely, and uh, and for us, it might be like it's, it it might become a focus at some point, like to develop our you know our own food and things. But now the you know. Make it easy. Just focus on what you know. You know what how to do, right? So that's why we we decided to outsource the food for now. And eventually, when we're gonna have like three, five, or ten branches, then we 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 might need to actually, um, you know, kind of harmonize everything and get our own thing in there. But you know, not not at the moment. But yeah, I mean, the, the, that also brings another perspective to the business, another angle to be developed. Um, so that's that's. You know, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, even really simple stuff like if you're buying a case of beer, maybe you're having a party. So why not buy, you know, non-perishable party foods as well, which you can just deliver as a package. I know you've thought about all this, but for people that are just thinking about a very specific product, they're missing, I think, the building of the platform, which is where all the leverage is. Right. Right. Yeah, correct. Um. Yeah, I mean, gosh, what else is there about the Wishbear business that I don't know about, or that I didn't know about before now? Uh, I like it a lot, actually. You're still fundraising, yeah? I think it's interesting. And again, it's not like so desperately necessary at all, actually, but just the fact that people can still participate in this, I think, is good for people that are listening to know. Yeah, correct, correct. So, yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're still, um, so we've raised so far like 8 million, and we're still uh, raising 12. Um, but you know, months after months, one to one millions coming, another one million, and so that's that's how it's been going for over the past uh, three months. I'm still in discussions with like you know ten, twenty people at the same time, and I think some people want to see you know what's going to happen. Uh, I still have my database of people who actually submitted the the form, and have you know I'm still contacting them and. Right. And send them like okay now we've launched our beer garden and uh, so so they can see that it's real because obviously that's can be a fear from an, any investor right sure. I put money and then you you don't Do see nothing, it and nothing is happening right. the guy is going on holidays uh, you know, <laughs> Maldives or whatever with it so 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I've been to the Maldives. I paid for it myself. I'm sure you would as well. Um, I haven't yet. I, haven't. I understand. And you're, if nothing else, you're very trustworthy and filled with integrity. You'd never do any of the things you just suggested. I want to make that clear no, to anybody who's listening. Um, no, definitely. I, I would love to, but I, I, I really can't. I mean, I'm too, I'm too, um, too honest. Too honest. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a finance person. So, you know, right. honesty and, rigor and you know it's something that is core to my personality as well so so tell me where is the branch in Tonglor going to be you said it's under construction but i haven't seen it so i'm just curious i'm in Tonglor a lot just tell me where it is it's on uh Tonglor place you know Tonglor place no which first first soy on the right before soy two ah. it's connecting to 57 Ah, okay, got it. So in that little side, I know exactly where that is. Okay, that's a great location, actually. There's a Korean barbecue. Yep, and, I know it well. It connects yeah. right into 57. So people, yeah. actually, what's neat about that spot is that if you have a good relationship with the Marriott, people can just walk over to a wish beer. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great location. Yeah, it's a great location. There's no bars uh, in, in this area. There's only restaurant. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, there's good traffic. It's like... Hundred meters from uh, from the BTS, so yeah, it's really good. People don't have to drink and drive; it's perfect. Exactly. Look, I had so many more things I wanted to cover, but I don't yeah. want to introduce them. Maybe we can get on another show and talk about some of the other things that you're working on. But I'd I'd prefer to end here so we don't have to give the other thing short shrift. But I yeah. do want to say this: I learned a lot actually, and I think people that listen to this will actually learn quite a bit. You know, not just about you, but about the business specifically wish beer but also about building a business and the platform of the business i learned a real lot today and i really just wanted to say thank you so much for spending the time and going through this because this was super useful for me and i think it'll be super useful for people that listen to me so thanks a lot yeah no thank you thanks for listening (laughs) you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com